Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a basic text study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our basic text, Narcotics Anonymous. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the basic text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We're going to have introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Hi, my name's Paul. I'm an addict. Uh, I got clean in New Orleans, Louisiana. I attend meetings in New Orleans and the Pensacola area. Uh, my home group is the Open Mind Group that meets on Monday nights at 730 uh, I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, and uh, if you're on a relapse, come back to the fellowship. We need you. Hi, everybody. My name is Donna. I'm an addict. I live in Eugene, Oregon. My clean date is Thanksgiving 1985. My home uh, area is Lane County area of Narcotics Anonymous. We have lots of great meetings out here. Come on out and see us. Happy to be here. Phil Attic. My clean date is 4 1995 um, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, my home group is uh, Men in Recovery in Pittsburgh at the uh, Anala Recovery uh, Center. Hey, I'm Jessica. Um, I'm from Berea, Kentucky, and we're part of the Kentucky Survivors Area. My clean date is December 1st, 2015. And my home group is NA as such in Nicholasville, Kentucky. We meet Monday nights at seven. Hi everybody, my name is Eva P from uh, Salem, Oregon. My clean date is 6-10-2000. My area is the Mid-Willamette Valley area of Narcotics Anonymous. My home group is Live for Today. And uh, it's on Wednesday nights at 7.30 at Westminster Church. Come and find me, I would love to meet you. Hey, I'm Edgar, I'm an addict. Um, my clean date is March 9th, 2015. I am from the capital area of NA in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey family, my name's Allison C. I'm an addict. Um, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'm in the Bayou Recovery area. My clean date is April 13th, 2000. Thanks. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian B. I am an addict. Uh, my clean date is 11 18 2019. Uh, I'm a member of the We Area of Narcotics Anonymous. Anonymous. My home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Uh, come down and see us sometime. We'd love to have you. I'm an addict. My name is Douglas L. My clean date is March 12, 2000 got clean in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, really excited that you're tuning in. I suggest that you get your basic text, a highlighter, and a pen or pencil. And uh, here we go. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 10 of the basic text study for the anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 21. Now the question is, Eva P. will facilitate. Take it away, Eva. Good evening, everybody. Uh Donna, why don't you start reading right there? Now the question is. Hey, everyone. <clears throat> now the question is, if we, if we are powerless, how can Narcotics Anonymous help? We begin by asking for help. 
The foundation of our program is the admission that we, of ourselves, do not have the power over addiction. When we can accept this fact, we have completed the first part of step one. A second admission must be made before our foundation is complete. If we stop here, we will know only half of the truth. We are great ones for manipulating the truth. We say on one hand, yes, I'm powerless over my addiction. And on the other hand, when I get my life together, I can handle drugs. Such thoughts and actions lead us back to active addiction. It never occurred to us to ask, if I can't control our addiction, how can we control our lives? We felt miserable without drugs and our lives were unmanageable. So I guess um, uh, the, the part that just jumps out for me is about beginning in the beginning and asking for help. You know, I never asked anybody for help. I was not used to being able to get it if I needed it. And so I certainly didn't ask for it because the risk of rejection was pretty great. And also asking for help was an admission of weakness, right? So um, uh, you're getting honest about uh, where I was in my life and the fact that I could not do this on my own, I couldn't figure this out on my own really was a really big first step. I don't think I ever told, tried to trick myself into thinking that I could handle drugs once I stopped using, you know, sometimes I just thought, fuck it, you know, or um, got myself into a bad situation where I couldn't say no, but, um, but I don't think I ever tried to convince myself that I could control drugs. That's all for me. Thanks, Donna. Anybody else? Paul? I really like what Donna highlighted there. And that flip from seeing, doing this whole thing alone to asking for help and that being the courageous act has switched the whole way I view the world. That's not just with dealing with addiction, that's in business, that's in life, that's like, just opening up that it is not, you don't have to have all the answers. When I walked into narcotics, I knew everything about everything. And that is such a limiting way to see the world. And, and what we, you know, this admission to let other people in, this admission is life-changing. I would have died alone, figuratively, you know, metaphorically, all of it just died alone with the way I saw the world. And to see it now, like to ask for help, to ask for ideas, to, to see, to ask for other people's opinions, to call a sponsor and go, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? With 25 years clean, I still do that. What do you think? Because I have to get perspective. Just for today through NIO, I will try to get a better perspective on my life. And perspective takes two points, crossing. And I can't do this alone. My, I just am myopic. I can't see it. I can't see it unless I ask for somebody else's help. And look, that's whether you got one day or a thousand days, you can't do this alone. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Anybody else? Brian? Oh, sorry about the delay. Um, <clears throat> I like uh, where it talked about, uh, yes, I am powerless over my addiction. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a truth right there for, for this addict. And uh, 
you know, immediately I went to our 12 and 12 and, and I found a little piece I'd just like to share with the listeners. It says, as long as we think we can control our drug use, we are almost forced to continue. The minute we admit we're powerless, we never have to use again. This reprieve from having to use is the most profound gift we can receive for it saves our lives. So, man, I'm banking on that. It's like, as long as I admit this every day that like I can't control my drug use no matter what, like my life can be saved and, and I'm living proof of it, man. Like, uh, you know, I'm not obsessed today just because of that admittance. You know, as long as I have a good grasp of that first step and I work it every day, you know, there's hope for me and there's hope for any addict out there listening. I'll pass. Hey, Edgar, go ahead, then Allison. So I like the part, the part here that talks about, you know, a second admission must be made. And, uh, you know, at the bottom, it talks about we felt miserable without drugs and our lives were unmanageable. Um, you know, like there's another piece of, I think it's in the How It Works and Why book. And it talks about, um, you know, the, the unmanageability of our lives was the thing that we could see, right? And I know that was true for me. And when I got to my first step, you know, I knew I couldn't use, but I wouldn't admit I was powerless about a lot of shit, right? But I could see unmanageability around my life. And even when I got clean, it's like, I didn't really want to stop using, but like, it was clear to me that like everything around me was just falling apart. So like the unmanageability to me was what got me clean, essentially. Like I felt back into a corner, you know, I had no more tools, no more resources. I kind of ran out of things to do. And it was like everything around me was just falling apart, man. And, um, you know, so I think that's an important part because, you know, I hear people talk about the first step a lot and it's always about like the powerlessness part. Right. And, I think the unmanageability part of this step, like it has a big, big, big impact, at least it did on me, um, of like bringing the whole step together, right? Like it says right here, if we can't control our addic addiction, how can we control our lives? And, you know, that, that kind of ties the first part and the second part together. It's like, you know, I cannot use drugs successfully. And when I don't use, when I use drugs and it's not successfully my life falls apart. Right. Like, I don't know, man, I, it was just important for me to make that initial connection when I got clean. Um, you know, and, and it definitely started like Donna shared, like we began asking for help, right? Like when I felt powerlessness, when I felt like I had no way out, I showed up at an NA meeting to ask for help. Right. So anyways, that's all you got. Thanks. Thanks, Edgar. Allison? Yeah, Edgar kind of kind of stole my thunder. <laughs> I was over here and I was just rereading this paragraph and it was like a second admission must be made before our foundation is complete. And uh, it just wasn't clicking for me. I was like, second admission, what? And of course I went back to the stuff itself and I was like, oh, okay. Beyond admitting we were powerless, we have to admit that our lives are unmanageable and that's the second admission. Um, and of course it says it at the, the end of the paragraph, but it just wasn't clicking for me. Um, so I figured if it wasn't clicking for me, maybe it didn't click for somebody else too. Um, but yeah, I mean, unmanageability 
is what ultimately brought me in the rooms too, like the, the consequences of um, my addiction and, and my powerlessness. Um, and I think like Edgar just said, if I wasn't able to recognize all the unmanageability in my life, I, I don't think that I would have ever ended up in the rooms because without consequences, I mean, I could still use successfully in my mind. Um, yeah, so that's that's all I got. I, I just wanted to share that I wasn't clicking and then it did, so thanks. Okay, I'm just gonna share one little thing and then we're gonna uh, move on to the next couple paragraphs. But um, what stood out to me tonight was um, that if we stop here, we will only know half the truth and we're great ones for manipulating the truth. And I think that for me, um, it was, it was one of those places in early recovery where I had to, for the first time, just be honest with myself, even if it was just a little, even if it was just a little bit honest, like, okay, I can see the powerlessness and now I can say that, yeah, my life's unmanageable right here. And it was enough to get me in the room to get started, right? Um, what I know as I go further into my recovery is that I still have to be really careful about only saying half the truth in this step. Um, that that I can be in denial or have ego or whatever around some of the things going on inside my home or that nobody can see because I have time. And, um, and so then I want to be like, oh, no, that's not happening in my house. My kids and I get along great. Yeah, at 16. No, she doesn't treat me like crap. No, I don't parent out of guilt. My life is perfectly manageable. Um, so I have to be careful, right? I have to be careful even after that first admission. Like I have to continue to admit um, that my life, that, that life on life terms keeps happening. And I can't go, well, I'm going to work on this, but this is fine. Nobody needs to see this. I'm just going to put a blanket over that, shove it under the rug or whatever. So uh, that's what caught my eye, probably because I'm working on being uh, being more honest uh, with whole truths, not uh, leaving any little bit out, right? Like lying by omission, because that's what I like to do when I don't want to um, deal with something or I'm embarrassed, right? Because I, I'm an addict that gets embarrassed really easily, <laughs> because I think maybe I should be doing that better because I have so much, you know, time or whatever. I don't know, whatever. My, that's just how my brain tells me you're not good enough because this is still happening, right? With all these years. So um, moving forward, uh, Paul, why don't you read an, uh, unemployability and their election right there? I just want to honor what you just shared because it just hit me in my soul that that's the thing. It's that little part that we think if they find that out, we are not going to be good enough. And it just brought me to tears. It was like, that's the part right there. That's that little part that we try to hide. And lies of omission are the are are just as deadly as, you know, cash register dishonesty. So thank you. Uh, unemployability, dereliction, and destruction are easily seen as characteristics of an unmanageable life. Our families generally are disappointed baffled and confused by our actions and often desert or disown us. Becoming unemployed, socially acceptable and reunited with our families does not make our lives manageable. 
social acceptability does not equal recovery. We have found that we had no choice except to completely change our old ways of thinking or go back to using. When, when we give our best, it works for us as it has worked for others. When, when we could no longer stand our old ways, we began to change. From that point forward, we began to see that every clean day is a successful day, no matter what happens. Surrender means not having to fight anyone. We accept our addiction and life the way it is. We become willing to do whatever is necessary to stay clean, even the things we don't like doing. There's two things that stuck out for me was um, about families. My mom moved four states away in a loving act so that I could get clean because I kept showing up at her house, eating her food, stealing her money and sleeping for three days and then head back out to the French Quarter. So um, she knew she couldn't say no. So she moved to Georgia uh, during my relapse so that she wouldn't see me knocking at her door. And I, I just, you know, at the time I was pissed and I was just, you know, so self-serving. And now, you know, she's she's gone and i think what an immense amount of love to go can't, no more i can't do this no more um so that was that and um we we became uh willing to do whatever is necessary to stay clean even the things we don't like doing that is probably the single largest lesson in narcotics anonymous for me because I only did things that I wanted to do before I got here. And that ended me up with all kinds of unmanageability. And now it's just as simple when the alarm goes off and I get out of bed and go to work. I don't wanna do that every day, but I like the apartment I have. I like the car that I drive. I like the food in my refrigerator. I like the be able to pay my bills. I like, it's amazing how that's all connected. like. Doing, and, and it's as simple as sitting in a meeting when everything in my being coming back from a four year relapse is saying, let's get the hell out of here. These people are still stupid. Get out of here, let's run. And when you just sit your ass in your chair and stay, even when every fiber of your being is saying, let's get the hell out of here, something is transformative. But you, you know, that's why I don't quit before the miracle happens. The miracle is, oh my God, I can get this again. And, you know, I say in the introduction, I said, if you're on a relapse, come back, we need you. We do need you. We need you to come back and you need to come back. So I still see that. I still see that working in my life. So thanks. Thank you, Paul. I saw Donna, Allison, Jess, and then Phil. So we'll start with Donna. I, I think um, one of the things that's really important here talking about every day being clean, being a day one and moving forward. One of the things that was so important for me is I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to a meeting every day for 90 days. And what happened in that time was I started seeing other people changing, right? It was harder to see myself, 
but I was watching these people. They were staying clean. They were celebrating lengths of clean time. They were getting jobs. They were getting their driver's license. They were getting their kids back. They were getting home. You know, I'm like their life was changing and I was watching this recovery thing work. Right. And, and I started caring about their recovery the way I was caring about my own. And then, uh, um, the other thing, the part about surrender, I don't think can be understated, right? People often talk about addiction and other things like this, as if it's a battle, if it's something you have to overcome, that you have to, to win. And I, for me, that was just not how it worked. I had to stop fighting. I had to stop trying to get this thing and fight it and make it work for me. I had to put down whatever it was I was fighting with and go a different way, walk a different path, right? There's a great story about, um, you know, this person who falls in a hole over and over and over again. And after a while, they learn to walk around the hole, right? Uh, but uh, there comes a day when they just walk down a different street. Right. And so, so stopping fighting, truly surrendering to the fact that I was an addict, that I was not going to be able to figure this thing out. I was not going to be able to figure out how to use well enough or, or live that kind of lifestyle well enough to have the kind of successes that I thought other people were having out in active addiction, you know, and then the other thing that, that happened from coming around, you know, day after day was I started wanting what I was seeing other people having. I was, I'm enough of a rebel and I was enough of a rebel then that social acceptability was never my goal, right? But, but it didn't really take all that long before the trappings of, you know, living a normal life started to come together for me. Real important to keep working the steps and stay in the program and stay clean so that I could figure out how to manage all of that. Thank you, Donna. Allison? Thanks, Donna. First of all, I like what she really had to say about the 90 and 90. That's something that I also did and helped me out a lot. And to add on to what she said, it also helped me form relationships with people in these rooms and kind of replace it with those old people and play things. And it also, it also built some accountability for me because if I wasn't at my normal meeting, I went to a different one, somebody would see me the next week and ask me where I was. And, and I also learned that way that people in these rooms really do care about you and want to see you keep coming back. Um, so the 90 and 90, I definitely recommend that as well. Um, it definitely set a, a solid foundation for my recovery. Um, second paragraph that Paul read it it says we have found we had no choice except to completely change our old ways of thinking or go back to using and my sponsor always gives me a hard time because she says I can overthink and overanalyze everything and if I just left it at that first sentence I would be down a rabbit hole trying to figure out oh what what do I need to change but like they keep it simple and the rest of this paragraph and they and they sum it up really well like I just have to show up and do my best and and leave the rest up to to the higher power that I don't necessarily understand um and and give myself credit for staying clean every day and then I have this highlighted from um reading it before is surrender means not having to fight anymore like Donna said how freeing is that? Like for me, that's like a breath of fresh air. Like 
I struggled for so long. I fought myself. Um, having the ability to surrender and say that I don't need to fight anymore. Like all I have to do is show up and, and do my best. And, and it follows it up by saying, accepting our addiction, our life, the way it is. Like, I don't know how much more simple it could get. Like, I can't ever think that one, um, you know, surrender and acceptance are vital to my recovery. I'm not always great at it for sure. Um, I definitely still have to fight and, and surrender is a constant process for me to, to remind myself when I'm beating myself up against the wall that I'm not in acceptance and I do need to surrender. Um, but it gets a little bit easier too. Um, that's just a really awesome paragraph. I really like that one. Thanks guys. Thank you so much, Allison. Uh, Jessica and then Phil. Um, so there's like three things that I wanted to bring up and I feel like I've already forgotten it all already. So I'm going to do my best. Um, the line social acceptability does not equal recovery. Like I spent a lot of time trying to fit in. And so I know exactly what that looks like and you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So like we can see right through that. Um, and then the next line, we have found that we had no choice except to completely change our old ways of thinking or go back to using. And I really like the, the last line of the paragraph um, before that, it said, we felt miserable without drugs and our lives were unmanageable. So it's like, I think Paul shared last week, like, um, like you could stay clean, but, but for how long, you know, without, without working the steps and changing your life. And um, like Narcotics Anonymous, it's not a, a getting clean program, it's a, a recovery program. And what that looks like is a complete change of thinking, acting, like all those things. And I do not wanna go back to using. So it looks like I have to completely change my old ways of thinking. Um, and so that's what the steps help with. And it's more of like, you can't just write and and read your way to recovery you have to actually put in work and it, it, your actions you know um but then there was i know paul just shared a story um about his family and i have one with my my mom um i had just spent my last dollar on dope in a hotel room and i was hungry i hadn't eaten all day you know and so i called her and i was like mom will you please just send me a pizza or give me food or anything at all? She said, no one hung up on me. And I, I don't think it's because she hated me. Like, yeah, she was upset because how many times had I screwed her over? But the thing was like, she didn't care about my feelings she cared about my life and she wasn't going to enable me any longer. Um, and I think that if it hadn't been for people in my life, loving me in that way, I don't know that I would still be here. Thanks. Thanks, Jessica. Bill? Uh, uh, wow, well, I heard a lot of good things. Um, there were several things uh, that uh, that really grabbed me. And and just how it started out with that unemployability un of dereliction and destruction are easily seen as uh, characteristics of a unmanageable life. I know uh, 
at the end, end of my road, uh, I, I was reduced down um, to nothing. And then at the very end of, of it too, I mean, th there was really no shame uh, in my game, you know? I mean, like morals and values and all kinds of things just, just sort of like, like went out, out the window. And uh, yeah, families were baffled and confused and uh, we were deserted and uh, disowned and uh, that fits me to a T. Um, but even um, gaining things back, uh, family coming back, and uh, just doing doing a little uh, recovery in this process, uh, I still love social acceptability does not equal recovery. So there still was a um, a way for me to to go to um, to start recovering, and. Um, I'm very fond of, uh, uh, we got to completely change our old ways of thinking or go back to using, you know, um, and then it says uh, we can no longer stand our old ways. Then we, be we begin to change uh, and then so on and so on. Uh, 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 it, 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 it goes on and uh, the, at the end of my road, it wasn't so much the change I knew I was going to die at the end of my road too. So I got to re remember that too. So uh, it was get with the program, you know, get with this, uh, do something. And uh, uh, I was liking uh, the changes uh, in that process. But um, um, last but not least, and, and it sort of like sums it up, uh, we're willing to do whatever is necessary to stay clean even the things we don't like doing. Um, that has a whole lot of merit, uh, even, even, even today. Uh, um, I still do a lot of things. Um, I just do things and uh, whether I want to, to do things, uh, I just do things because it's still part of the recovery process. And, uh, and a, a lot of times, uh, uh, with this and being in recovery, like, okay, where's the recovery in it? And then I got to uh, apply the spiritual principles, the attitudes, the thinking, and, and the whole nine that it talks about and the things that we were, um, were reading. And that's all I got. Thanks, Phil. Hi, Doug. Ben Edgar. Hey, I want to uh, make some comments on... Um, so the first sentence there, so we have found that, that we had no choice except to completely change our old ways of thinking or go back to using. I, I really think that's the that's the lead in, you know, to to the rest of the steps right there. That kind of summarizes like, hey, um, this this complete change of our ways of thinking. Right. We can kind of associate that with a personality change. And really how I read that, it, it boils down to this is this is the need for my awakening. Right. I need to have an awakening. And that's how I read that. It's a spiritual awakening. That's a complete change of my of my thought, which which when my thinking changes, um, you know, that 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 goes along with my actions. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's the personality change. Right. That's needed. So I look at that as kind of like that's the lead in talking about this spiritual you know, change, this awakening that that I need to stay clean. And then um, and then the. The, the sentence here, um, we become willing to do whatever is necessary to stay clean, 
even the things we don't like doing, which is what been talked about. And, and that's one of the things, man, that, that, that I really appreciate the, the old timers always talked about, what are you willing to do to stay clean? And then, and then like the tag on to that was like, what are you willing not to do, you know, in order to stay clean? And I think both are, are equally important. Like there's some things we need to deny ourselves of, and that's plain and simple. You know, we need to go through those feelings and um, that instant gratification, man. And sometimes like we have to get right with that, you know, getting clean, it's not going to be comfortable. And one of the things like we don't like doing it, I know for me, um, it, you know, it was, it was like, Hey, getting on my knees and praying in the morning and at night, getting to a meeting at least minimum one hour early, helping whoever's putting the coffee, setting the chairs, staying afterwards and mopping, you know, all those things, man, you might not like doing, but, and, and, and I was fortunate, man, to have these old timers that they didn't give a damn if I like doing it. We, we, it, it doesn't, I don't care if you like getting on your knees and praying in the morning. Don't care if you like it, do it. No, I still do it now. You know, those are things I, I was taught, you know, in 2000. And the last thing I want to say is this surrender means not having to fight anymore. I really love that, man. Like, and, and, and you really, um, like surrender, if you want to look and see what surrender looks like, the action, if you, and what surrender looks like is obedience. That's what surrender, that, that's what it looks like to me. And, and getting clean. Like it's obedience to spiritual principles. And so, okay, so so what are spiritual principles, you know, getting clean, doing whatever it takes that day not to use. And then as we stay clean, man, and, and we enter in this process of recovery, what are some spiritual principles we employ, grab onto in our life, you know, honest, open, willing, you know, these things here. Um, and then we build upon those. But that's how I look at surrender. You know, what that means to me is it's obedience to those spiritual principles, man. So I'm going to go ahead and pass with that. Thanks, Douglas. So, Edgar, and then we're gonna move on. All right. Um, so, I just wanted to touch on the social acceptability does not equal recovery piece, and you know it's already been talked about. Um, but you know, there's two ways I, I look at this, and the first one is the social acceptability of like the people around me um, in NA, in the sense of just because. I have friends in NA and I'm going out to eat and doing all these things doesn't mean I'm in recovery, right? Like that just means I'm cleaning, hanging out with clean addicts. But if I'm not doing the work, then I'm not actually in recovery. Like uh, we read it previously, recovery happens in these meetings, right? And through step work and stuff like that. Um, and And that's just one side of the social acceptability piece that I think about when I when I think about this sentence, it's like just because all my friends are in NA doesn't mean that I'm practicing a, a program of recovery. Uh, it just means I'm hanging out with clean addicts. And um, the other part is, you know, my experience with Narcotics Anonymous from the first time I came in in 2013 and or 2012 when I was first introduced to the program up to 2015 when I actually got clean was this sentence of social acceptability does not equal recovery except I thought it did equal recovery so I would get all this socially acceptable shit like a job and a car and, and a place to live and, and then I'd go use right um, and, and that's what this means it's like just because my shit's together doesn't mean that I don't need this program anymore at least that's what that means to me um, 
And, you know, I used to think that sentence was applicable when I was first getting clean, but I think it applies to me more now, right? Because I go to school and nobody, nobody knows I'm an addict. No one thinks, hey, that, that dude looks like he shoots some dope. Like, no one thinks that, right? When I'm on campus, when I go to work, when I'm with clients at work, nobody, nobody thinks that. Um, when I'm in my neighborhood walking my dog, nobody's like, that dude looks like a junkie, right? Um, and, you know, I'd be lying if, if people don't invite me to things like, hey, you want to go get a drink? And I'm, ju- and I'm not like sometimes like, damn, get a drink. Well, I am, you know, 25, I'm of age, like my life's pretty put together, right? Like that thought definitely crosses my mind, but I got to remember that like, just because I have my shit together, it doesn't mean that I get to go use. Like, it's not, it's not a free pass. It's not an excuse. It means nothing, man. Like my disease is not impressed by the shit I have um, at the end of the day. So um, I just wanted to point that out, man. That's something that what's important to me when I first got clean and I started getting a good job and a good car and friends outside of NA. But I think it's more important to me now with a couple years clean that it's like just reminding myself that yes, I am in college. Yes, I have a job. Yes, I have a nice car. Yes, I have a girlfriend. Yes, I have all this shit, but it doesn't mean that I don't need Narcotics Anonymous anymore, right? So anyways, that's all I got, thanks. Thank you, Edgar. Uh, again, my name is Eva, and I'm an addict. Um, until we took step one, we were full of fear and doubt. At this point, many of us felt lost and confused. We felt different. Upon working this step, we affirmed our surrender to the principles of NA. Only after surrender are we able to overcome the alienation of addiction. Help for addicts begins only when we are able to admit complete defeat. This can be frightening, but it is the foundation on which we build our lives. Step one means that we do not have to use, and this is a great freedom. It took a while for some of us to realize that our lives have become unmanageable. For others, the unmanageability of their lives was the only thing that was clear. We knew in our hearts that drugs had the power to change us into something that we didn't want to be. So, um, in that couple of paragraphs, um, I'm just going to share a little bit. Um, when I think about, you know, it keeps talking about surrender, surrender, surrender. The only, only after surrender are we able to overcome the alienation of addiction. And, and in the previous paragraph, it talked about surrender um, means not having to fight anymore. And when I think about surrender, sometimes now I think about, um, for me, I think about um putting the bat down, right? Like quit beating myself up for not going to that one recital when my kids were little. Quit beating my, I mean, like that was 20 years ago or whatever, right? Like my daughter's 30 now. Um, to, to quit beating myself up for things that, that I've held on to for whatever reason, um, even now, like I can bring that stuff still up. It still like can come up out of nowhere. And I can, and I have to surrender over and over again. Like here it is, you can have it back again. Here it is, you can have it back again. Here it is. (laughs) And it's like, does it ever get better? And the truth is, is that it does. When I put the bat down, when when I say here it is, oh, and can you keep it? Right, like that's the difference. 
when I turn it over, surrender it, and then say, okay, now keep it, and then really leave it there, right? Like surrender for me is admitting, admitting complete defeat. Like I'm, I can't do it anymore. I, you know, so, um, and then moving forward, um, step one means that we don't have to use, we don't have to use, like I, that was such an alien thought in my mind, like, I thought I had to use to get up and brush my teeth, right? Like I, I didn't have the, like I can't get up for anything unless I have what I need, right? Like I need my fix. And, um, and for the first time in many years, step one, having done step one means I don't have to use. And that freedom was um, almost unfathomable. Like I, I didn't even know what to do with that freedom sometimes. So um, one other thing, and this is probably one of my favorite lines is being clean and working this step, we are released from our chains. And when I think about that, I think about those chains of our own making, right? Like I make that jail in my mind, in my choices, by choosing to get loaded, by choosing to hold on to old stuff, by choosing to lie by omission, all those things. I create those chains. So, um, and now I'm released. So those are the things that I got. Oh, and one more. My favorite thing in the world is we found hope. Because <laughs> hope is everything to me. So um, who wants to share on these couple paragraphs before we move forward? Hi, Brian, and then Phil. I'll still from Phil. I'll just be brief here. Uh, I wanted to share like how we're talked about there about drugs changing us into someone that we don't want to be or we didn't want to be. And uh, that was my story. Like whenever I started working the first step with my sponsor, like it was real clear to me right away, like my life was unmanageable and active addiction. And I had some uh, a brief period where I was clean before in, in Narcotics Anonymous and then I went back and used but you know, by the grace of God, I'm back now. But like, I, I worked so hard at this uh, sales job that, that I had here in town that I worked my way up and I became the branch manager all while being clean. And then I made the bad decision of going back out and using. And, and I had like 30 people that I was in charge of. And uh, they started to see me change from a person that was clean, that was showing up every day to a monster. I mean, someone that was you know, getting so loaded that I was falling asleep and just being a totally different person. So, you know, of course, like I would do, you know, they called the regional office and they sent a big manager down and they started interviewing these people. And I knew that that's what they were doing in this back room. Like they were talking about me and it was all because of my addiction. And like the, the, one of the, one of the hardest things that someone has ever told me was like, you know, these people that you're, you know, have, have you as a manager you know they like you Brian but they don't respect you and that stung man because I knew why they didn't respect me because they knew I was getting high but like today man like whatever journey that I'm going to start next with employment you know I have some things on the horizon like I know that if I put this recovery thing first and don't make that same mistake you know I can be that guy that's that's employable and, and shows up and suits up and shows out so um that's kind of my take on it. Thanks. Phil and then Donna.
Okay, here we go. Sorry about that. I was trying to, to uh, take me off the microphone. Um, wow, wow. Me and Brian, uh, this, this, this is the, the uh, wonderful thing about this meeting because we all get to be on uh, the same page. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but um, just right where uh, Brian was sharing, uh, that, that part like really uh, grabbed me. We knew in our hearts um, the drugs had the power to change us into someone that we didn't want to be. You know, uh, just all the things we've like read in, in, in step one with all the uh, admissions and, and things like that. Uh, 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 and just having that admission, uh, I, I know what I am. I, I, I am what I am. But uh, I always say this, and especially if I'm if I'm I'm, I'm doing 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 a, a lead because it's back into that uh, heart thing. I know in my heart of hearts, if I was a child in kindergarten and somebody would have asked me, Phil, what do you want to be when you grow up? I know I would not have said that drug addict. I I, I know that that's in there. I, that would have been the last thing I would have said, but um. The thing of being an addict and having all these admissions in that and and what it did change me into and seeing what what, what an addict is uh, uh, that's uh, that's once again it's that leading okay uh, you have hope there there's there's something you can you can can change and you can you can now live uh, have that hope and go on to a different life that's all I got Thank you, Phil. Donna? The, the part for me, and maybe I've said this before, that um, that I did things under the influence of drugs that I would never do if I was not high. It's just, and I didn't know that in, in the beginning. Uh, it took a little while for me to realize that like, I just wasn't doing those. It wasn't part of who I was, right? And um, And so if you're new and you're hearing this, that's what I want you to know, is that drugs changed you, turned you into somebody that you didn't want to be, just like it did us. And stopping using while not recovery is the first step, right? Stop using and so much of that stuff is just going to fall away. You're just not going to do it anymore. And that's what I found. Now, I had to still live with myself. I still had to come to terms with what I had done and who I had harmed and how I'd harmed myself. You know, so I had to go on and do other things, but um, but I just I think that could be overemphasized. Drugs changed me, and when I'm not using, I'm somebody different. And by not using and working a program, I'm actually somebody I want to be now. That's all for me. Anybody else? Allison, why don't you finish off this step one? Being clean and working this step, we are released from our chains. However, none of the steps work by magic. We do not just say the words of this step. We learn to live them. We see for ourselves that the program has something to offer us. We have found hope. We can learn to function in the world in which we live. We can find meaning and purpose in life and be rescued from insanity, depravity, and death. When we admit our powerlessness and inability to, ma and to manage our own lives, we open the door for a power greater than ourselves to help us. It is not where we were that counts, but where we are going. 
I'm going to pass. Okay, thanks, Allison. Edgar? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that sticks out out of this, uh, these paragraphs is uh, none of these steps work by magic. We did not just say the words of the step. We learned to le live them. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that from early on in recovery, I was taught by my sponsor. And, you know, I remember when I first got clean, I was in such a rush to like get through steps. And when he finally told me I could start working steps, then I was in such a rush to finish them. And he said, you know, when you finish this step, like, I don't know what you think is going to happen, but you're not going to be fixed. Right. <laughs> like he kind of broke it down for me pretty quick and uh, was like, it's not about writing on this step. It's not about getting on the workbook and reading it. It's not about memorizing what every book says about the step. It's about how you apply that. Um you know, and I haven't sponsored anybody in a while, but when I did sponsor people, this is kind of like what I would tell them, right? The same thing, because it has so much value to me. It's like, yeah, I could work, you know, a step of a month if I really wanted to and just kind of like do all this stuff and get through it real quickly and work them multiple times. But where's the value in that if I don't know what I'm actually applying it to, right? And uh, or how I'm going to apply it. And um you know, it, it, it's just one of those things that even today I have to remember that it's like, as I move along in the steps, you know, and, and the, the, the further I got into the steps, the longer it took me to do them, right? And the more time I would take in between working steps because my sponsor would say, all right, now, you know, for a little bit, just kind of think about this step you just worked and where you're at and try to apply it, right? And, uh, I don't know. That just had a lot of value for me, man. And um, it still does today. So that's just something I wanted to point out that like, for me, you know, sure, there's certain steps that I went through that I was like, you know, a light bulb came on and I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it didn't immediately fix me, right? Like, these steps don't work like the drugs. I'm not going to immediately feel better just because I ride on it. Um, um, I'll start feeling better later on when I really understand it. Um, so anyways, thanks for letting me share. Edgar, go ahead. Thanks for those comments, Edgar. I think that's a, that's a really cool thing about having, you know, kind of like a wide range of, of folks on this study and uh and for those listening in too you know with your with your um you know just a vast you know experience and how they're different um like i have a different approach you know to to what edgar was talking about i really do find value in um maybe i'm on one one end of that spectrum you know of i try to get my guys through the steps um you know maybe comparatively quicker Right. And, and, um, and not taking time in between. And I think that's, that's probably one of the values of NA is being able to say, Hey, look, you know, we're, you know, we're going to walk through this journey this way. You walk through the journey that way. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, like if you're, if you're committed to staying clean the day to time and focus on, you know, getting healthy and helping it, helping other people. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's kind of awesome, man. I'll, I'll, I'll belong to that. 
Um, and so, you know, the, the, the thing here is like, like we, you know, that learning to live them and then being released from being released from the chains is, is, uh, that, that means a lot to me. Um, like right here, man, like inside, because I, I find myself, um, even still, you know, finding seasons of like, of like how, how sometimes character defects can like put those chains back on me. And that's how I feel. Like, I literally feel that, man. I literally feel bound, you know, restricted in that loss of freedom. But compared to getting clean though, man, compared to saying, Hey, look, I'm powerless. And because of my powerlessness, look at this unmanageability. That's, that's so clear to see in my life. When I came to terms with that, man, it, it, it was like my, like thoughts of getting high and, 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 you know, whatever that is, that desire or obsession, however you want to say that wasn't removed like immediately, but damn it, man, it's like, I didn't, like, I wasn't under that, under the control of having that thought obsession and then bam, the compulsion takes off. I, I mean, I had, I had other options, man, call my sponsor, get to me, do, you know, do something else. It was that freedom that I felt. And I really like that, man. Like, so release from our chains, I, you know, I love that. So anyway, I just wanted to make those comments, man. I think it's kind of cool that we have different experiences. And so, you know, um, I think that that adds to the strength of our of our fellowship. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Doug. I see Paul and Jessica. So go ahead, Paul. And then Jessica. Uh, when we admit our powerlessness and an inability to manage our own lives, we open the door for our power greater than ourselves to help us. I'm always hesitant to talk about higher powers. I feel it's a very personal thing. Um, and as a gay man, I've heard uh, higher power and God stuff used to alienate more than to draw people in. And so I'm, I'm always a little uh, not wanting to get anybody skittish <laughs> who might be listening and thinking, uh-oh, this is a God thing. But, but it, it isn't. It, 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 you know, you get to pick, you get to, you know, come to your own understanding, but there's something greater, loving, caring, and greater than myself is what it talks about in, in our literature. Loving, loving, not, you know, not fire and brimstone, but loving and caring. Caring is specific to me that a higher power is caring for me. You care for something, right? So a higher power is caring for Paul in the particular, not just in this kind of ether. And then greater than me, something that is going to take the need for control away. And that was, that's the relief. That frees my energy up to do work, to do service, to be, to make the world better. And that's what I learned. And, you know, it talked about earlier about finding purpose. I had lunch today with four friends who all used like I did, but we are that in our 20s. We are all now 60 and above. And they have, they have stopped using without a program. And I have stopped using with a program. And let me tell you, <laughs> I would much, it's a much better way to live life with a program because I got they're all retired and they're all sitting around doing nothing watching TV and they said well what do you do well I, got, I said I go to meetings I'm doing a podcast tonight and then I, I got uh, I'm going to do uh, H&I tomorrow night uh, at uh, Bridge House and then I'm going and then I'm doing this and they said how do you do all that I said look 
when I can't do that, it's time for me to check out. That's the purpose that I get through Narcotics Anonymous. Is there ways to find purpose outside of Narcotics Anonymous? Absolutely. We're not, we're, you know, we're not the only game in town, but it's the best game in town for me. It's the best game in town. And, and my life has purpose. Like that is, I had nothing when I got here. I had no, it was me, me, I, I, what can I use? What can I, what can, how can it just benefit me? And look, and there's a selfishness to that. Like I want to do this stuff because it makes me feel better about myself. That's the, that's the paradox of this. And, and this whole program is full of those paradoxes. It, it talks about it in the literature, surrender to win. It's one of those paradoxes, but that paradox of helping others so that I feel better, you know, it's not altruistic. I feel better when I come out of that H and I meeting tomorrow night, I'm going to feel real good. Those guys give me more than I give them. So if you're new, this is, this is, this is going to be a great adventure. This is not like a homework assignment. Like, you know, Edgar was talking about trying to get through the steps and I related to that. Like if, because, you know, I want your approval. So I'm going to write all this shit in a notebook and I, I'm going to show it to you and you're going to love me. And that's not what, that's not what it, you know what? It was usually the stuff that I didn't write in the notebook. It was the stuff when he went, well, yeah, that sounds like a good answer, but what about this? And that little, that was the jumping, the notebook was the jumping off part. And that moment where I said, okay, I'm gonna tell you this little part that I hadn't written down. And he went, oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. That's the change. So thanks. Thank you so much, Paul. Jessica? Yeah, so these last few paragraphs um, lays a, a foundation for the second step, um, when it says we admit our powerlessness and inability to manage our own lives, that is us popping the giant balloon that is our inflated ego. That's us practicing humility. That's us practicing love. And it opens the door for you know the power greater than ourselves um, to help us find this sanity that it talks about in step two. Um, and I think we'll get more in depth with it later, but I would like to ask, if anybody could share how they apply this step to their lives. And I know, I think we've talked about quite a bit, you know, it's more than writing, it's more than reading. So like, what do you do in your daily life to practice this step? Paul, you're gonna respond? Sure. Um, first of all, not using. <laughs> is a big step towards that. And look, you know, um, it's, it's not about the drugs. It's always about the drugs. Because if I don't have that as a baseline, nothing else works. So once I pick up, I'll get all of this, all those notebooks, all those filled notebooks over 25 years mean absolutely nothing once I use. But it's a lot more than that. It's, it's letting you all in. It's admitting. It's the first time we talk about that. So it's letting you all in and, and, and exposing. 
It's, you know, it's honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So that's just a big waltz through the steps. It's those three principles, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So this is the first time you've asked me to tell the truth about what really happened. I'll do it again in the fourth, right? I do it continually on the 10th. The seventh is a little bit trickier, but those are, the, those are the honesty steps, right? So the first step is the first time when I really take a hard look at what happened. And instead of, which is what I thought when I got here, that it would disqualify me, it absolutely qualified me. And, and I just wanna go back to one more thing um, about uh, Donna was talking about the 90 meetings in 90 days. And absolutely, I think that value is immeasurable. But here's the thing. In those 90 days, at some point, I opened my mouth. And when I did, what happened was not what I thought was going to happen, which was once they find out, they're not going to like me. I'm the alienation it talks about in those paragraphs just we just read. The alienation was there. Completely the opposite. Once I opened my mouth, people came up after the meeting and said, hey, this is, I did that, or this is how I did it, or that all these things. And I started to grow, you know, the, the contacts with people in Narcotics Anonymous. So if you're new, and you're doing your 90 and 90, take the risk to open your mouth. And it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be great. In fact, it's better if it's not pretty. You know what I mean? Like tell the real truth. And when you do that, you will start to make connections. Because if you walk in, like, like Doug was saying, if you walk in at eight o'clock when it starts and you run out at nine o'clock when it ends, you have, you have missed a lot of the benefits of going to meetings. Because what, what happens in our meetings is probably just as much value the half hour before, the hour before, and the hour after. And it's not just the service work you might be asked to do, but it's the connections you'll make. So give yourself a break. Thanks. Donna, we have one minute. I saw that, yeah. I think um, uh, how I live, the uh, spiritual principles of the first step today is about honesty, right? Telling the truth about who I am, what my, my, what my truth is. And um, a lot of that's wrapped up in the serenity prayer, you know, taking responsibility for what I can change, letting go of what I can't and asking for help to figure that out. So um, that's how I do it today. I'm just gonna say when I felt one second before we're gonna close out, I'm just going to say that this, this line in the book helps me when I feel like I want to get loaded. This line. We find meaning and purpose in life and we've been rescued from insanity, depravity, and death. Because it's, it's right there that I hurt the most. So with that, I just want to say thanks everybody for listening. Um, and that's going to wrap up uh, episode 10. Have a good night. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so with. Tune in next time as we'll pick up where we left off.
we'll chunk these in hour long sessions. Namaste and God bless.